0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Christina Passariello, technology editor here at the Washington Post. Today, we're gonna focus on a new Showtime series, Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. It's a fascinating story of a very successful Silicon Valley unicorn and the rise and fall of its CEO. The first installment airs this Sunday. My three guests today are the showrunners and executive producers of the program, Brian Koppelman, Beth Schachter, and David Levine. Welcome to all of you.
1: Thank uh, it's a you. Thanks.
0: And a, and a reminder to the audience, we want you to join our conversation today. So please tweet your questions and comments to the handle PostLive. All right, let's, let's dive on in. Brian, um, I'll start with you. Your show is based on the excellent book Super Pumped by Mike Isaac. So why is the story of Uber and its troubled CEO Travis Kalanick so gripping that Showtime wanted to transform it into a TV series?
1: Well, it, it's first of all it's, it's great to be here. Thanks for having us. I mean, you know, you you kind of answered the question in your question, which is Mike Isaac crafted the narrative of this story in a way that the moment you started reading it, you understood this was a story you had to try to amplify and tell for an even bigger audience. And it lent itself, you know, as the book was constructed, it lent itself to uh, being crafted as, as drama. You know, there was these amazing parts, Travis, uh, Ariana, and Bill Gurley. We felt like we could get actors to portray them who we really wanted to work with. And we felt it was a really important story. You know, this is a story of what happens when the revolutionaries become the fascists in a way. And it felt like really a story for our time. And we never hesitated and neither did Showtime. This was, from the moment we read the book, a story we were determined to tell. Because it's also just an incredible ride. Very entertaining, funny, and um, absurd with a capital A.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's even hard to believe that, um, that it's real. <laughs> and, yet, <laughs> and yet, it is deep. Important book, we know. Um, so, David, you and Brian wrote the first uh, script for the series. What did you want to convey about this story right, right out of the gate?
2: Well, right out of the gate, we thought it was important, and that's why it's in the first scene. The idea of um, these, these people who are running this company not being necessarily on the up and up, but being so bent on achieving their goals of growth and domination of this sector that they were willing to cut corners. That's why in the first scene, they're talking about a safe rides fee that they're going to institute and charge all the the riders. um, That wasn't gonna really result in any safety. It was just gonna result in profit. Um, We thought that was important so that people understood the footing that they were on and the way that they should look at these characters right from the start.
0: that's great. Beth, the three of you worked on Billions together. I'm curious, how is it different to adapt this uh, true story versus fictionalizing wealth and excess?
3: Well, I mean, so Brian and David obviously created Billions and brought me on um, in season five. So I'm new to the partnership, though we've all been friends for about 15 years, which is about half as long as these guys have been friends with each other. Um, But I was just very happy to sort of be asked along for the ride. It's, you know, it's a similar muscle um, in terms of creating a show from a book or creating a show from the ground up and you just are exercising in a different way. So there's a real um, joy in having a blank page and kind of being able to do anything with it. And there's a real joy and fun in having a book as great as Mike Isaac's book and putting it up on the board and seeing what pieces of it really hit you in the gut and really make you want to dig into that part of the story. And they're both, um, they're related um, and both really delightful. <laughs>
0: uh, well, it's fascinating. Let's, um, let's take a look at a clip from the first episode, which gives us a sense of, of Kalanick's power of persuasion. Let's, let's roll that now.
3: This is validation of our
1: standing as disruptors. Austin! How's it going with our future drivers? You're
0: getting them? Got a bunch. Did you settle with the city?
2: Oh, no, 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 we're not settling with the city. We are taking this city!
1: <laughs> you sure, it's okay? You know what they say about fighting the City Hall. Huh? See,
2: this is the thing about changing the world. The world never wants to change.
1: It's going to dig in its heels and tell you no and try to crush you. Fortunately for us, we are in the world changing business. At least I am. I was built for this. They want to fight. Oh, I love to fight. You want to know who wins fights? Whoever wants it more. And who do you think wants this more? Them?
0: David, what's your reaction to that scene? You know, we see a really excited and a talented and passionate leader um, in Travis Kalanick. What does it tell us about him, or or TK as he's called in the show?
2: Well, yeah, that's the thing. You know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt did an amazing job embodying this character. So I was just appreciating watching his performance. But one thing we wanted to establish early on is his effectiveness um running this company. You know, he got hundreds and thousands of people to follow him and to enlist in his vision. And he he was charismatic and he got people he got people on board. And it was amazing. So we needed to to set that that table, if you will. And you know, the viewer sort of jumps on board also. And it's only later that they realize that, that um they might have signed on for for things that weren't as they appeared in the beginning,
0: hmm. yeah, it's so interesting. Beth, um I mean, Kalanick is portrayed in in your series as both like the hero and antihero. how do you How do you square both of those things um, in the storytelling process?
3: Um, we don't really think of it that way. What we think of it more is he is someone who was determined to change the world and did change the world. Um, we don't spend a lot of time talking about is he a good guy or is he a bad guy what we really want to ask ourselves is what is the cost of disruption and of this kind of disruption and of successful disruption unlike some other tech um disruptors who are being portrayed in in uh, the press right now or in tv shows right now this uh, travis was incredibly successful you have we all have uber in our pocket So we're really asking, what's the cost of that, and what happens when someone who sees opportunity, and as they say in the show, and we say in the show, wills an entire sector into being, when he finishes that process and gets to the top, what does it do to him, and what does it do to the people around him?
0: Hmm, That's so interesting. Um, Let's, Brian, tell us a little bit about uh, you know how you guys worked. Um, with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who plays the role of, of tra- Travis Kalanick. Tell us a little bit about what that process was like.
1: We worked very closely with Joe. As soon as we finished the, the script, we, we sent it, so we finished the script on a Friday, and by Sunday we had, trans- <laughs> he, he was in New Zealand. So we, we got on the phone and we shook hands um, and agreed to do this show together. I, I, I want to go back to you know, that moment as we're talking about Joe and him embodying this character. I mean, one thing that's fascinating and I think uh, for readers of The Post, uh, you know, what Kalanick was trying to do or what he was holding up as a corrupt, entrenched power in general, which were the taxi and limousine commissions uh, in these cities. They were in large part Uh, entrenched powers who had incredibly favorable arrangements with local governments and incredibly like restrictive covenants over how many cabs there could be, how many medallions there could be, and they were monopolistic. And so what, what Joe and we were all interested in was, well, if you unseat people like that and create a vacuum and you fill it, can you resist the temptation to become Like the people in power before were, and for us, that's what kind of elevates this. And Joe, in that moment, as he's galvanizing the troops, he's able to tap into a very real grievance, a very real um, insight into what was happening. The problem is perhaps the the character of Travis lacks the self knowledge to know that he ain't going to be any better if he gets in that position. But maybe the audience watching him and watching the way he loves the ad adulation of his troops maybe will sense oh this might get even worse and that for us is part of what's super exciting about the show.
0: Yeah I mean it was really interesting to watch and just have these reactions where sometimes you know you're really rooting for him and other times you're kind of like cringing. (laughs)
3: you, You hear
0: these discussions or watch what he's doing. Um Beth, you you mentioned, you know, other executives um, who are being portrayed uh, on the big screen. I mean, Silicon Valley has been portrayed in a number of shows in recent years. What is it about the tech industry and Silicon Valley that is interesting to people?
3: I think one of the things we really like about this space is that, um, much like Billions, they're kind of modern kings. And in that Shakespearean way of wanting to examine what makes a king and what brings a king down. Um, It's kind of where many of the kings are either in the um, high finance area or in Silicon Valley. And many of those kings are willing themselves into existence. And so those two things together, I think, are really fascinating for people who create television because that's um, something we don't get to write about sort of in modern times right now.
0: That's so interesting. And I mean, this is, uh, you know, a story that is so recent, uh, as the little tag said, you know, Kalanick led Uber from 2010 to 2017. So, you know, Brian, can you speak to some of the challenges that that has created to, to shooting a series where the events have happened so recently?
1: Well, lucky for us, Mike Isaac did so much of the work of the researching it and finding this story. And he was also amazing about bringing some of his sources to the writer's room. And Mike was in the writer's room every day with us or or 99% of the days. And so I don't, I, I will say we didn't find that part. Yes, what you lack is a historical perspective. You, you there's no doubt you lack really knowing where, where the story ends long-term 25 years later. That said, because the research was so thorough and because technology and Silicon Valley moves so fast, it is almost like we do have perspective because four or five years in Silicon Valley time is a long time. And you see the iterations that have happened afterwards. You see the effect dynamic pricing has had on every industry. So you, we were able to have... Uh, as much perspective as you could, given the calendar, but more than that, we had this expert guiding us through the process in 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 Mike. and um, you know he we we are also going to protect any of the sources Mike brought in, but we did feel like through his reporting, we had a very good look at what at what happened.
0: That's so interesting. And David, can you speak to a little bit of the other research that was conducted for the series, like just in terms of the setting and um, you know, just the sort of broader context for Silicon Valley?
2: Um, you know, as Brian said, we started in this great place with this book that was so comprehensive. Um, we were able to talk to some of the characters portrayed in the book, not, not Travis Kalanick, but other people. We were able to talk to some of Mike's sources. Um, and because as you said, as you point out, it, it, it's pretty recent, there was a lot of news coverage of this that we were able to delve into. Um, you know, it was, it was all there, Every, all this stuff was on the internet. So it was, there, was, there was a wealth of material for us to dive into.
0: Can you speak a little bit to um, how it came about that you got Quentin Tarantino as the narrator for this series as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, Brian should speak to that because it, it came out of uh, a moment when they were going to, when Quentin was going to come on his podcast. Brian, you want to take that?
1: Tell sure. us about yeah. Brian. Well, uh, David and I had, uh, Quentin had sent a note to somebody and and asked them to forward the note to us. Um, about a year and a half ago or two years ago, and it was an incredibly kind note about Billions. And in the longer context for that is uh, Quentin has long known how much his work means to David and me. Uh, and Beth, too, though he, he went unknown at the time. But how much his work has meant to David and me. And uh, so when he knew that getting a note from him that talked about why he loved Billions and the, how he watched the show and the way in which he understood all the references and allusions he, he knew that would mean quite a bit to us. And uh, so when he sent us that note, I, I, you know, we, we thanked him and, and kind of filed it away. And um, as we were writing this and realized that we wanted his voice in the show, um, I wrote him an email and I, I asked him to come on my podcast because his book had just come out. Uh, in the book that was the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I, I also described this show to him and asked him if he would narrate. And he immediately wrote back and said yes to both. And I wrote back like, you know, you said yes to narrating our TV series, not just to <laughs> come on my podcast. And he was like, yeah, I, I know what I say yes to and I know what I say no to. And and uh, But I will say the moment that he first walked into a studio to record with us was pretty... uh a pretty high watermark of our a career that's had a lot of incredibly lucky and amazing moments. Uh, I would put that really right up near the the very tippy top uh, of of it, wouldn't you, Dave?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it was surreal and it was incredible. And the only people that were as shocked as us about the experience were the were the engineers who were in there recording it. They were just freaked out by it too. <laughs>
0: Tell us a little bit about you know how did he did he influence the production in any way
2: No Well no, no he's amazing. He's yeah he's so generous. He come he came in as a real performer, not in a directorial way where he wanted to call the shots. He put himself in our hands and he he deferred to us. Like he he was prepared and he understood it, but he was really interested in delivering it the way we wanted it, which was which was great, you know. I think he he must have liked the opportunity to not be the arbiter and mm. to just allow himself to be directed and steered a little bit. And and I say a little bit because it didn't take much. He's pretty good at being Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> uh,
0: the- t- t- tell us a little bit about the role of the narrator that he plays. It's such a, you know, um, it's it's. It's not a passive narrator. Tell us a little bit about how you envisioned that role and why he was perfect for it. You
1: know, I'll, I'll be honest. I just want people to discover it as they watch the show. I don't want to overtalk Quentin's role in the show. I, I mean, it's an, he's incredible. It's a dream. But I think part of the fun of the show is discovering him in, in the way in which he... If we could have kept it a secret until the show aired, we would have so that people would have that surprise. And I, I don't want to talk it out. <laughs>
0: All right. That's fair enough. Tell us a little bit about, you know, tell us a little bit about how your partnership worked um, on Billions. You know, you've worked together a lot, um, both on that and now on Super Pumped. So what are the what are the roles that each of you play in this partnership? And Beth, maybe we can start with you.
3: Oh, um, the roles we all play. <laughs> exactly. um, well, you know, These guys weird. have been so well, Beth.
2: Beth you do? Wait,
3: will you tell it? Because now I need this. Now. Beth, Beth <laughs> I'm in, in it. I can't see anything room. but the ocean.
2: Yeah. Beth ran the writer's room on both shows this season. She, she ran the writer's room on, on Billions, and then we'd switch over, and she would run the writer's room on Super Pumped. And we were all in the New York area in the beginning, And we started prepping Billions, but at some point pretty early on, Brian had to go out to California and start doing pre-production there. So it was a real tag team effort. So Beth and I were doing the Billions pre-production and then the beginning of production. And then at some point I went to LA and joined Brian. Beth was on her own. We were constantly communicating. And then we started rotating back home through Billions set and into billions post-production. And then when we got close to the end of super pumped production in California, Beth came out and did a shift on that. It was really like um, in the old days before they had the fire trucks with the hoses, when people had to pass the buckets, you know, the bucket bailing relay to to throw on the fire. That's basically how we did it.
3: Yeah. The weird thing is though I, I was gonna say like, though the pandemic has sucked and truly like made things really hard for production, um, the benefit of the of the pandemic has been the the adventation and um creation of all these systems where you can do a lot of the work remotely. So we have like systems now where our screens are the monitors that are on set so we can watch takes. And so there's an entire like system that so we are able to kind of keep track of everything and you just sort of we, we just created a space where all three brains could carry a third of the information at all times over two shows. Uh, Sorry, Brian, I didn't mean to interrupt you, yeah, no, was, Do you want to add
0: something to that? The
1: other answer is what Beth said at the beginning of this, which is David and I have been like brothers since we were 14 years old, and Beth's been our dear friend for 15 years. And so a lot of it is that we don't have clearly defined separate roles. We just do it together,
0: all the things. Yeah.
3: That's really neat. And you have another two um, other people to ask and check, and yeah, it just works. Absolutely, Beth. You you
0: mentioned a little bit earlier that you know everybody's got Uber in their pocket, um, but of course most people, you know, will know Uber just as riders or drivers. So how did that how did that affect how you tell this story? What's what did you think people kind of knew about Uber or Calenet coming into it?
3: Um, I had to assume that most people knew as little as I did, which is I knew it had something of a troubled past. I vaguely remembered the safe rides fee and I remembered the Susan Fowler blog post, but I had not put it together the way Mike had done in a linear story and looked at the totality of it. And so we had to assume the audience had not either and take them on the same journey that they would go on if they had read Mike's book, and then try to amp it up and make it more of a TV show um, while sticking to all the pieces that were real and true and and honoring all the people that went through that experience. So um, yeah, but I assume that most people don't really know until they get into it the way the show will take them into it, which is a great way to find out about this thing that's in your pocket.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things about this thing that's in our pocket is that it's technology and it's often, you know, hard to understand, maybe hard to depict, you know, it's algorithms and gray balling and all kinds of things like that. So, um, you know, how did you guys convey, how did you guys think about conveying those things that are often technical and not necessarily visual? Um, Brian, do you want to take that one on?
1: Sure, I mean, that's uh, an example of where you're thinking as a, a maker of TV or film about form, about what form, you know, in a formal sense, like what form should the presentation of this take that will serve this particular content and this particular idea best? And so a lot of that has to do with, if you're making something about disruption, it opened up for us this idea that the show itself should be disruptive, that the show itself should, in a from a standpoint of form, should be able to do anything that you can possibly do on this screen as a way to illustrate the things you're asking about. So whether it's a voiceover, an address to camera, whether it's zooming in on something, whether it's the use of green screen, writing on the screen, we will use whatever it is that we need to, to convey the feeling of the speed and um, outrageousness with with which Uber marched forward, and and so we're we're trying to use the form to accomplish that.
0: That's interesting, and you know, you you talked about how, uh, you know, even though this story is so recent in Silicon Valley, there's so many iterations, and so it is. Um, you know, it is now history in Silicon Valley, and and now we, you know, are in this era of of cryptocurrency, for instance, and and Web three and the blockchain. So, um, where do you see the Silicon Valley story going now? What do you think that the the you know the impact has been of uh, of the rise and fall of Uber, as you guys have depicted it?
1: I mean, yeah. that's a very That's a big question.
0: Uh, David, you can can try for it.
1: I mean, I'm not going to. Host, what do you
0: think?
2: (laughs) He's throwing it back to you, Christina.
0: Oh, going no, yeah. back to me. <laughs> oh, we. Tech, well, well, I mean, we we write about cryptocurrency, you know, a lot. And in fact, one of the things that's so interesting about, um, you know, something like cryptocurrency is actually the widespread adoption of it. You know, I think last year it was like a sixth of all Americans, uh, you know, traded or or participated in 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 the crypto markets in some way. So as you know, as you guys spoke about, um. You know, what do people know about Uber? It's in a similar I feel like maybe we're at kind of a similar place um, with this next wave of technology. But of course, what yeah. we see now is very much shaped by the the tech generation that came before it, Kalanick and others.
1: So and when I read about when I read about Sequoia launching this half billion dollar fund uh, about crypto and other coins, of course it, it's fascinating. But as writers and as artists, luckily, we don't have to and we're not futurists, we don't have to predict it. But what we can do is track it, read about it, interview people, and see what story hits off of us emotionally, because, I mean, ultimately, we want the viewer to have an emotional reaction to the journeys that these characters are on, and to, uh, we hope to evoke some empathy for some figures throughout this story, and, Uh, we hope that the viewer will start asking about what's next Uh, and maybe we'll start to understand what's happening now. I mean, uh, it's hard if you think about it, most folks, us included, don't really know everything that's going on behind closed doors on Sand Hill Road. But what's going on behind closed doors on Sand Hill Road is determining the future we're all going to live in. And I think we're really, we are Quite animated by telling stories about that.
0: Oh, it's really interesting. Well, that brings us very well to our last question, um, which is that you know there are seven episodes comprising uh, Super Pumped, which will air this year. But give us an, uh, a preview of the next installment of this anthology, which
3: I understand is about Facebook. Um, Beth, would you would you take that one on? Um, I would love to, but we're not really gonna plant our flag yet. Mike Isaac is writing a book, and we. Know what the basic idea is going to be, but because we were so, uh, I'm going to say, blessed by this his first book about his his Uber book, we're going to wait to see what he uncovers and brings us because what we've discovered is that the truth is going to show us where the story is. So come back in six months and we can talk about it more.
0: That sounds like a deal. There's so, clearly so many stories to tell out of uh, out of tech and yeah. Silicon <laughs> Valley.
3: I don't think there'll be a dearth of story is what I will say.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, that's good news for all of us storytellers. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we are out of time, so we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Brian Koppelman, Beth Schachter, and David Levine.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you.